We have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Our salvation results in a living hope because of the resurrection. And as Jesus died and was risen, we as followers are also called to follow Christ's example and to be raised into a new life, both here on earth and then forever in his presence. But the resurrection also unites us now to Christ in heaven. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.6 that we are raised up together with Christ and have been seated with him in heavenly places. Now we know Jesus is making intercession for us right now as our heavenly high priest. But how are we connected to Christ in heaven even now? One way is recorded in Luke 22.19. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body, which is given for you. We as believers are connected to Christ's body in heaven by our unity with Christ in his resurrection. Jesus wrapped himself in our humanity. His body died and was later resurrected and then ascended to the right hand of God. This is one of the truths we celebrate in sacraments, the body that was broken and resurrected in glory, securing our salvation and destination. We have an eternal connection to Jesus through our humanity and through his humanity. Heavenly Father, as Christ does right now. The object of this living hope is a future inheritance. In the Old Testament, the inheritance was a promised land. Peter reveals our inheritance to be much greater than inheritance. The verse 4 says it's imperishable, undefiled by sin, and unfading earth and glory. We are entitled to this inheritance because we have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. Israelites obtained a family inheritance in the land of Canaan. We were born again into an inheritance in heaven. Israel saw their earthly inheritance taken and were even sent into exile. But the inheritance of the new covenant is secure and it's eternal. And as faith is a gift of God that we cannot earn, verse 5 tells us the same faith is the instrument that guards our inheritance of salvation until its fulfillment in heaven. The same God that saves you will keep you until you're in his presence. Regarding this verse, C.H. Spurgeon once stated, Heaven is kept for us, and we are kept for heaven. Heaven is prepared for us, and we are prepared for heaven. So to have a living hope is to look past this temporal world that quickly fades and long for a new home. Whereas children of God, we will receive our ultimate inheritance, an eternity of praise and worship of our Creator. It is comforting to know that the same faith that saves us will keep us, but not only eternally, but even here and now, through our trials and tribulations on earth. And that's why our living hope is a sustaining hope. Verse 6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. It's wonderful that the living word of God still applies to us today, both individually and corporately. But we often get so caught up in how a passage can be applied to our personal lives. We often forget that this scripture was initially given to specific people. They had unique situations and oftentimes enduring real hardships and persecutions. So 1 Peter 1.1 gives us that audience. The elect exiles of the dispersion. These exiles were scattered in an area north of the Taurus Mountains in Asia Minor. 
that is modern day Turkey. This letter is written to Christians that are scattered in a strange land that were looked upon as a new religious sect that threatened the very fabric of local culture and pagan religion. These Christians had no land and they had no inheritance. No wonder Peter emphasized the heavenly land and inheritance to come in this letter to them. Peter doesn't name their persecutions here in chapter 1. But later in the book, he does mention they were slandered, verbally abused, and subject to harsh treatment. Now you may be thinking that's kind of mild compared to what we know Christians would later face under Nero or in the Colosseums of Rome. Doesn't that give us a, a means of identifying with these Christians in this passage? For even Christians in America have in the past and do currently face afflictions similar to what we see in Peter. It illustrates that even though we're blessed to be in a historically tolerant place towards religion, like the U.S., trials and persecutions still happen, and God sees it. Your suffering is not without meaning and purpose, as we will soon see. But next, Peter makes a seemingly strange statement. Rejoice in your trials. Here I believe Peter is using the same teaching style we often see Christ use. For example, in the book of Matthew, Jesus says things like, he who loses his life will keep it, and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Here Peter, just like Christ, is using a paradox, joy and grief. We are challenged to exhibit rejoicing while experiencing trials. That's something the world looks at and does not think is possible. Verse 6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter lets us know that trials come if necessary. This means any trial that comes into your life by the sovereignty of God. These struggles are not accidental, but they're purposeful. And they're here to fulfill God's plan in your life. We see this in John 9, verse 1 through 3. It says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. This truth challenges us as believers, doesn't it? We're not supposed to dwell in discouragement when we're facing these trials, but we have been called to suffering. That our salvation may be perfected and completed according to God's sovereign plan. And this is why we are called to a hope that not only sustains, but it sanctifies. Regarding the purpose of our suffering, verse 7 says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found a result of praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now some of you, maybe those that are younger, may not quite understand that illustration used by Peter. When you're mining for precious metals, they're often found embedded in materials that you don't want. The most efficient way, then, of extracting this precious metal, let's say you're looking for gold, was to fly fire. The other elements just burn away and leave what you're looking for. John Calvin pointed out that this process served two purposes. Yes, it removes the undesirable material from the gold, but it also proves the value of the finished product. For only a precious metal can withstand such extreme testing. But here Peter takes this illustration even further explaining that gold will perish when exposed to enough heat for a long enough period of time. 
But unlike gold that will falter when tested, genuine faith will not. No test, however difficult, can destroy saving faith. The same God that grants faith sustains your faith. And his testing not only reveals, refines, but reveals the worth of gold. Our faith, which cannot fail, reveals its worth to the world and to ourselves. And it grants us confidence to endure the trials on this difficult path of sanctification. We have a sustaining hope because we have a sustaining faith in the finished work of redemption. And we know that this hope will continue to make us like Christ. This is why our hope not only sanctifies, but it satisfies. Now Peter has just encouraged the exiles to rejoice, even in their trials. Because they are necessary to sanctify their souls and to proclaim Christ to the world. Peter also reveals the result of this testing. Praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. But just as our hope not only sustains us eternally through salvation, but even now through trials, joy is also attainable now, not just in eternity. For joy is not prevented by suffering. Verse 89 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here Peter is referencing the words of Jesus in John 20, 29. And he says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Peter is acknowledging that his audience is at a disadvantage. They had not seen Jesus as he had. Yet their hope in an unseen Christ results in love, joy, praise. Just as God demands faith and then grants us this precious gift, this verse promises that God not only commands his people to rejoice in trials, but will grant you the joy, peace, and comfort you need to fulfill his expectations. And verse 9 reveals the end result of faith without sight, the salvation of our souls. If you remember back to the beginning, hope begins and now ends in salvation. So to summarize this passage, God has called us to a living hope. And it's through the resurrection, which entitles us to an incorruptible inheritance, guarded through our faith, whose outcome is the completion and perfection of our salvation. With such truth revealed to us by God through this magnificent letter, how can we ever be anything but hopeful? It's because we're weak, we're full of doubt and fears, and we are still on this path of sanctification. Pastor Mike often states that when he's um, about to preach a difficult sermon, I've had to live with this all week. I've lived with this one for several months. <laughs> and as uh, many of you here today can testify, my hope has been challenged this year. As you look around, we think of how death, strife of family and friends, and even poor health has touched so many around us. I know each time I felt low on hope, preparing this sermon encouraged my spirit. The whole time I thought I was preparing the sermon to help you, it was actually for me first. And I was even more encouraged when you ladies started your Bible study in 1 Peter. Because then I realized I was on the right track. And also other people in the church, they need their faith encouraged and their hope encouraged and strengthened just like I do. Church, we have been called to hope. God is our creator. 
and he has every right to demand whatever he wants from his creation. But he is Abba Father, and he doesn't give cold and indifferent commands to his children. He gave us a hope grounded in his most precious gift, his son. He puts trials and testings in our path, but not just to see what we can endure, but to make us more like Christ and show him to the world. All while promising us to wish for this journey. If you're a believer and your hope is lacking today, look unto Christ. He died and rose again for you. Your struggle has purpose, and you are perfecting your salvation showing Jesus to others. Christ and Christ alone is why we today have every reason to hope. If you have never put your faith and trust in Christ, this is a sermon of hope for you as well. But you must first realize that this hope does not reside in yourself, your goodness, or your works. We were discussing in the beginning that our hope is anchored in the resurrection of Christ. But there's also another famous resurrection in Scripture that Christ was a part of. In the Gospel of John, Christ was with his disciples when he received word that his dear friend Lazarus was gravely ill. Jesus chose to tarry where he was. It was only after Lazarus had indeed died that he decided to make his way to Bethany. Lazarus' sister Martha, she really loved Jesus, but she was distraught. And she even lashed out in grief said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus didn't rebuke her. He comforted her. And he chose this time to share the gospel with all those present at the grave of Lazarus. John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus says to that crowd of mourners, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. See, this is what Peter's writing about. Our hope is in the resurrection because Christ is the resurrection. I pray that today you will respond in faith as Martha did to Jesus in that very next verse. She said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Amen.